Welcome back to another edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Stowe, and you're listening to episode 21. So hunters and huntresses, are you getting excited? Because you know, archery season's just around the corner. We have about maybe six, maybe seven weeks, depending on where you live. The season's gonna be starting. Do you have everything ready? Do you have your bow? If you don't, as promised, we are having another bow manufacturer on the line. This one happens to be with Hoyt. The guy that we brought on, his name is Zach Holt. And Zach is not only a pro staffer, he's also a sales rep for them. And what's really cool about this episode is he does give you some insights, not just their company alone, but he gives you some ideas of what the past of bow manufacturers, what they dealt with to where they're dealing with now being 2015, the struggles that they're trying to make sure that they're giving the best product that the consumer can possibly have. Things that maybe you've never even thought of when it comes to understanding bows in general. But So he gives you a lot of cool nuggets just in that itself. But when it gets down to the bows that Hoyt developed, and when it comes to thinking about buying your very first bow or the new bow before the season starts, Zach is a great person to listen to because he's going to give you the ends what's going on. So let's get the show going. How's it going, Zach? It's good, man. I've uh, never done the Skype before, so this is uh, kind of a new thing for me. <laughs> no worries. So you can hear me okay? Oh, yeah. I can hear you perfectly fine. Awesome. As you know, we only have some places eight weeks or less for archery season, and some people are looking to purchase a bow. So I want to give people opinions, different ideas, and talk with someone that knows the bows a lot better than myself. And um, since how you're a pro staffer, I thought maybe this would be a, a good uh, topic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's getting down to the nitty gritty right now. Uh, a lot of my dealers are pretty busy right now, so it's probably not as busy as what it's going to get here in the next three weeks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they're pretty slammed. And uh, if you're just now looking at buying a bow, you're a little bit late. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, you you do still have some time to uh, you know to pick something out good and probably get proficient with it. Well, I do know like when I originally started bow hunting, it was probably weeks. In fact, I think it was archery season already started and I was getting close to rifle season when I decided I wanted to try a bow. So I was really late behind. But um, yeah, there's those last minute people. And plus, if someone that already has a bow, they're just looking to change up. It's a, it's a good way of giving them another point of view, at least some of the listeners that are listening in. Right. I guess the first part would be is like, how long have you been a bow hunter? Oh man, um, I think I got a hand-me-down bow from my dad. It was a, uh, it was actually a Hoyt, an old Hoyt, and it was probably three inches too long uh, of a draw length for me, and <laughs> definitely uh, too heavy of a draw. And so I was, I, I don't know how old I was, maybe, uh, maybe twelve. Wow, uh, you know, something like that. I think it took me three or four years to finally kill a doe uh, with it, but uh, I used some old razorback five broadheads that he had laying around and i've pretty much been a gearhead ever since um that's kind of my addiction i, I have more stuff than i ever need i kind of sound like a one-man band walking through the woods so <laughs> well so basically you've been pretty much bleeding hoyt your uh, whole entire hunting career well um you know i started out with hoyt and it was just obviously it was because it was my dad's bow yeah Went away from that for a little bit i worked at a uh Worked at a pro shop down in Evansville, Indiana, um, whenever I went to college, and uh, just walked in and, and asked them if they needed any help. And obviously, it was you know late August; they were slammed, and they needed somebody to fletch arrows. And you know, my dad kind of taught me how to do all that stuff growing up. So uh, you know, just jumped right on it, started fletching arrows with him, and I worked there for five years uh, as it took me to 
get through college. So there, they were a Hoyt dealer and a Matthews dealer and a PSE dealer. They were a pretty big PSE account back then. And I shot Hoyt and Matthews there. And then uh, I went away and, and got a job at Cabela's. Uh, I shot Hoyt while I was at Cabela's and I shot some PSE while I was at Cabela's as well. So I've kind of bounced around a little bit, but I've pretty much shot everything. And, and even today as a sales rep, uh, the first thing I do whenever a bow manufacturer comes out with a new bow is I go to, you know, one of my local dealers that I know carries that line and, you know, I'll spend hours with my competitors bows trying to, uh, you know, get an idea of what they're trying to do with their cam system, uh, what they're trying to accomplish, what kind of speeds they're attaining, whether they're realistic with what they're, you know, w- with what they're claiming and uh, really try to pick it apart. You know, it's obviously part of my job um, to know what my competitors are doing. You know, I obviously spent a ton of time working on Hoyts and, and uh, helping my dealers out technically wise and stuff like that. Well, you're just saying that you're also, you go to the other manufacturers and you try them out. How does that help when it does comparison, whenever you're speaking with someone about the bows, why Hoyts might be your personal choice versus for something else? Well, you know, I, I really try hard not to uh, talk bad about any other manufacturer. Of course. Uh, most bows pretty much today are really good. There's like differences that make them unique. There are. Um, it's it, it really draws back to the engineering concepts of the engineer group that works at each manufacturer. And sometimes those engine that engineer group is, you know, driven by one person. And sometimes it's a group, you know, a group effort. Uh, some of these engineers work on such specific projects that they never actually get to see the bow that they're working on. They're just working on a riser transition or they're working on a cam or, you know, how, how a mod transitions into the stringer cable track. And they're, they're working on just one small little aspect of that. Uh, when we go out to Hoyt for the sales meeting, the, the room is absolutely full with everyone from customer service to engineering, uh, front end ops, back end ops, all that sort of stuff. And, there's very few people in that room that actually know what the bow is. A lot of people know small parts about it, but uh, we're 100% clueless as a sales group, and most of the people in that group are 100% clueless. They may know a certain aspect of it, but it's a uh, it's a pretty exciting thing. But getting back to your question, you know, it's really hard for me to point out the advantages and the differences in how we do things and how our engineers have designed certain aspects of our bows without understanding and knowing what some of our competitors are doing. So, you know, I just draw on that, uh, that knowledge and, you know, by having that understanding of what some of these other manufacturers are doing and, you know, maybe some of their advertising claims, um, I can kind of read in between the lines for the consumer that I'm talking with. You know, that's one thing about the archery industry is it's full of pro staffers and people that have an agenda. And I'm, I'm obviously part of that, you know, I'm, I'm a sales rep. Um, I definitely have a vested interest in the success of Hoyt, but, uh, at the end of the day, when I'm at a shop and I'm, I'm helping out one of my dealers at a promo or something, and I'm talking to a guy, my only concern is getting that guy into the best possible bow I can. That's right for him. You know, whether that's, you know, whether we have a bow that fits his budget or we don't, or, uh, you know, we have, I know of something that might work for him a little bit better. I'm never going to point him into a, probably a, a competitor's product, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to not tell him about it. If I think there's some, you know, good aspects about what that company is doing with their bow. 
I had to say that was uh, something when my first experience, I first went to, it was Bass Pro, and then I st- someone told me to go to a local pro shop. And I ended up going to a few of them because the first pro shop I went, I won't name the, the company, but they were very particular on one brand type. And if be, when I walked in wanting to try a totally different one, it wasn't a very good experience. And I think I walked out feeling like I wasted a lot of time. I wasted their time. They wasted my time. And I didn't have a good feeling. I decided to go somewhere else. And I'm glad I did. And it just happened to be when I found a comp or a pro stop, a guy was willing to let me see what I wanted to shoot. He didn't push on anything. And he just happened to show other bows at the same time. And I found something I really liked. And that really gave me a good feeling about, you know, I could trust that person then I can trust the boat that they're talking about. Yeah. Having, having a good pro shop is so important, man. We have, we have dealers that are hundred percent hardcore Hoyt. And, um, and I know dealers that are hundred percent hardcore Matthews or hundred percent hardcore elite or Bowtech. Um, all manufacturers have, you know, those dealers that are just super hardcore, but, I was a consumer before I was a sales rep and, and I really try hard to, to tell my dealers that they don't need to be that way uh, 100% you know, you know, pushy. No one likes that situation. You know, at the end of the day, I have confidence in the product that I'm selling and I have confidence in the engineering group that put together that project and you know, the concepts behind why we do some of the things that we do that if a guy you know, has an open mind uh, and shoots our bow against you know some of our competitors. Hey, I have confidence that if he has an open mind, we're going to at least be in the running uh, nine you know nine out of ten times. And and you know some guys don't have that confidence in their in their product. And um, I never try to uh, get my dealers to push my brand over another one. All I want is a fair shake. Well, I do know that when I first started, I mean Hoyt's been the name brand for the longest time and a heavy hitter, and so. When I started looking for a bow, I mean, every image I've ever saw was Hoyt. And so when I started, I think it was a, oh boy, uh, Katera? I think that was the the model that I, I was intrigued at getting because it just, it, one, the aesthetics itself looked pretty cool. But then with all the images and everything that I saw, I just, to me, that looked like the bow I wanted to go after. I obviously, at the time, uh, shooting different bows, I ended up finding something that was more fit my budget at the time. So I went with a different manufacturer, but still Hoyt has always been on the back of my mind of a, a good company to deal with. They're a fantastic company to, you know, to, to work for. I can attest to that. You know, yeah, the Katera was the first bow that uh, I sold. That was, uh, that was the year that I came on board with Hoyt as a sales rep. And it was a great bow. And, and, and back then things were a little bit different. I mean, this archery technology, it, it changes so quick and bows get obsoleted so quick that uh, it can be a little frustrating for the, you know, the regular consumer. But back then, we still had Reflex as a, a you know, a subsidiary company. We were, we were selling Reflex and box doors. And um, the Hoyt brand at that point was specifically high-end bows only. I think that year, you couldn't get a Hoyt for under 600 bucks. Yep. Um, and, you know, we recognized that. We we didn't have a falling out, but we recognized that the heart of this industry is the independent pro shop. 
And so the powers that be made the decision to, you know, pull out of our relationship with the boxed business and focus strictly on the independent retailer. And when we did that, we knew we were going to have to give that retailer some other price points in the Hoyt line. So that very next year, we came out with the Alpha Max, which was one of the most successful bows that we've had in recent history. And we put our bows on a diet plan. Um, that was a, some feedback that we got back from uh, a lot of consumers. The Katera was a great feeling bow, a very, very accurate bow, but it was heavy for the time. I think it was uh, 4.3 or something like that when it was loaded. It was like 4.6. It, okay, yeah. it, was, it was a heavy bow. And that's probably one reason why it felt so good. Um, obviously when you add mass weight to a bow, it just starts feeling better and better. And that's one of the problems that you see with, you know, today's bows getting lighter and lighter. Um, it's, it's a physics problem. It's, it's, uh, it's just general science that if you start making something go faster or make it lighter, it's going to start getting a little bit louder. And, um, so since that point, we've added in a lot of good price points. I mean, we've got bows. Uh, two ninety nine retail, you know, down to our on our youth bows. Three ninety nine on our night, which is a really adjustable bow that would fit absolutely anybody in your family. You know, all the way up to our our carbon bows and our shoot through riser target bows that you know that are pretty pricey. So we've built those price points back into our lineup, and and it's really just an effort to try to give that independent retailer everything they need, all the tools they need to be able to sell Hoyt at every price point level and be able to get every possible shooter that wants to shoot Hoyt that opportunity. Carbon was the, wasn't that when they originally came out with those video, uh, I guess, advertisements where they were running over the bows trying to felt like they could destroy them, but they couldn't. You can, uh, you can get on YouTube still and pull up some of those, uh, videos. That was the carbon matrix. And man, that was a really fun year to be, uh, a part of that family, that Hoyt family. It was, it was so cool at the ATA show that year we actually had a monster truck parked on off uh parked on four of them underneath the tires for the whole weekend it's uh it's surprising to think that for such a bow that can handle that much weight and yet you can hook up all your stuff right afterwards still shoot like it was nothing just came out of the box yeah I, i really think honestly that it surprised even the engineers that developed that bow um the guys in those videos are um We've got our marketing manager, our vice president of sales, and two engineers. And you can actually watch them. They're they're laughing while they're drawing the bow, but they're they're kind of careful. In the first couple of videos, they've all got their goggles on. They're all worried about the strings, you know, de, you know, derailing or the bow coming apart. And as the videos progress, you can see that they're gaining confidence and and that they're comfortable with what they're putting this bow through. And and I think they would even tell you that. It was it surpassed all their idea of durability. It is without a doubt the most durable bow that anyone has ever made, and that's not you know I'm not trying to sound like a sales guy. It's just sick how durable it is. They they even went so far as to take a bandsaw and cut three quarter deep cuts at the most critical parts of the riser, and still uh, you know it, it didn't fail. Uh, it was just crazy, and and what that has allowed us to do is we've developed our carbon over time since then, and it's had a couple of different iterations, and and I'm sure we're going to have some more coming out in the future. 
And uh, it's been a fun, fun product line for us to be able to roll out to everybody. And uh, yeah, we're happy to have it. Well, I think like right now when I'm looking at the Carbon Spider and the different models they have, I mean, just the aesthetics itself, it almost looks like it's a bow that's coming out of a tree root. It's just wrapping around. It's wicked looking, which, I mean, I think there's people that don't really care about the look. But in some cases, to me, in my personal opinion, it has to function well, but also has to look good, too. Um, that's just my personal preference, but, uh, knowing when you look at the style that they put a lot of effort into the way it looks. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that has to do with Hoyt was developing, they were working on developing a carbon product for Randy walk told us at one point, it was like either 10 or 12 years that they had work put into the original carbon matrix. And the light bulb came on or, you know, went on when we, we partnered with a, uh, a company uh, and their engineers to make it into hollow carbon tubes. Um, we were trying all kinds of uh, you know other methods, but the key having the weight to strength ratio was running hollow carbon tubes. And you know there's there's so much engineering, and, and even going from the matrix to the carbon spider today, that carbon spider today is as different from the carbon matrix as the carbon matrix was from any other bow in its day. It is so different the way that we manufacture today's carbon bows compared to back um, the, the methods that we've learned. And the, we've had such a steep learning curve messing with carbon that it's, it's just been absolutely incredible. And the technology that goes into that bow, the, the number of engineering hours, and what is actually going on, most people would just freak out if they knew what all has went into that bow. It, you see it on the shelf, and it's easy to you know think that it's just another bow. But I'm sure Hoyt doesn't want me to go into any specifics about how we manufacture it. But it, it is it is an absolute marvel of of engineering. Some of the things that they had to do. It basically gives us today's version. Basically, gives us the same flex characteristic on our riser as what our shoot through riser uh, bows do on our target line. Okay. You know, every bow has a flex characteristic uh, to it. And then a lot of people don't know that or understand that, but because of the location of the cable guard in the upper half of the bow above the, the grip, when the bow's drawn, a lot of torque gets transferred into the riser. And so you've got in-plane flex, which is towards the target and towards the archer, and then you've got out-of-plane flex, which is like side-to-side side if you're behind the bow. And we've always wanted to be able to make a hunting bow that had the same flex characteristic as our shoot-through riser bow, but the problem is is no one wants to load an arrow from behind, uh, which is what you would have to do on a shoot-through riser bow. Target guys don't mind it because they're sitting on a line and they, they're kind of a different breed of, uh, of guy, and um, you don't have a broad head and some other things. But so the trick was how do we make how do we make a hunting bow have the same flex characteristic as a shoot through riser bow? Well, really, carbon is the only material that allows us to do that. You, you can't really do that with an aluminum riser without a shoot through tunnel. Uh, but carbon allows us to do that. And so basically, long story short, the carbon bows have the same flex characteristic as our shoot-through riser bows. And, and it just it makes for a super, super solid you know, hunting platform, very, very consistent, super durable. 
and uh, very shootable. One of the things that uh, has always attracted me towards the Hoyt was that you had almost seems like every bow, the draw link adjustable. And the bow that I'm currently using is, again, is a different manufacturer, but it had to be, it's one size fit based on my, my draw length, and that was it. You had to buy it based on your size. But this one, it gives you that adjustability. And I, I mean, I'm just curious of like, how has that really helped when someone wanted to, let's say, buy a carbon spider or uh, a different a model that you might have to, you know, pick the bow you want and then allowing it to adjust? Doesn't that affect the, I guess, center of position or the weight distribution? Because once you drop down the size and draw length, doesn't that affect how it's going to operate? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think I know what you're asking. I mean, going back to the Katera, that was a draw length specific bow. You, you ha- We actually had two cams available on that bow, but uh, we had the uh, original cam and a half, if I'm not mistaken, and then we have the uh, Z3 cam. And the Z3 cam was a drawing specific bow, and, and it was just like uh, what your current Matthews is. I don't know what math, what model you're running, but basically, to be honest with you, um, and it, most engineers will tell you this, that you know having a dedicated draw length cam is typically considered the most efficient way of running a cam system. Designing that cam to function fully at that given draw length. And whenever you start making these cams have these super ranges of adjustability, you can start running into some problems. What Hoyt does is it's it's kind of the best of both worlds though. You know, we wanted to be able to allow our dealers to be able to stock fewer SKUs, to be honest with you. Back in the day that you, you know, were running Conteras, uh, you know, a dealer had to have a twenty seven, a twenty eight, a twenty nine in stock. And um and that makes it tough because you got 60s, you got 70s, you got black bows. I mean, it can really add up your inventory dollars in a hurry. So that whole uh, XTR cam system that we came out the following year uh, on the Alpha Max was really an effort to be able to help the dealer out as far as inventory-wise, but yet also not sacrifice too much on performance. So what Hoyt does is... And a lot of people don't understand this, and if they want to go to YouTube or go to the Hoyt Pro Shop uh, web series on Hoyt.com, they can check out a couple videos that Kevin Wilkie did on our cam systems. And This remains true regardless of whether we're talking about the Z5 cam that we're running today all the way back to the XDR cam system uh, back you know, on the Alpha Max year. All these cam systems are kind of just iterations one after another, kind of you know, tweaked a little bit to get some more performance or more let off or whatever. But um, essentially, we run a, a, a base cam system, a one, two, and three base cam system. And the, the physical size of the base cam gets smaller for uh, smaller draw lengths. And so the reason why we do that is as your draw length gets uh, shorter um, and you go to a two cam, that 26 draw person is still getting a full rotation out of their cam at full draw. What a lot of these manufacturers that are doing that have just a, a movable mod in one cam, um, basically what they're doing is is they're only getting you know two thirds rotation out of their cam system, and what you'll see is the cam systems, those cam systems are typically designed to perform at the most logical draw lengths, 28, 29, 30. But what happens is whenever you start getting a short draw guy, which I consider 27 or below. Uh, or below 27, I guess, the performance on those cam systems just nosedive because the all they're doing is is just stopping that cam earlier in its cycle to get to that shorter draw length. 
So with Hoyt, we make the, the base cam smaller, and that allows us to get a full rotation out of the entire cam and still maintain performance at those shorter draw lengths. So short draw length people typically attain speeds that they can't get with anybody else um, on, on our bows because of that concept, because of getting that full rotation out of our cams. So basically the mods that you've basically come up with have helped keep the, the speed and the draw lengths, everything works together because depending on the, your draw length, you can adjust it based on those different cam sizes. Well, the mods are only going to run within the range of what that base cam is capable of getting to. So again, like on the number three cam, and, and it changes whether you're talking about a long axle axle bow or a short axle axle bow, but on a number three cam, on a short axle axle bow, it's going to go from 28 to 30 in half inch increments. Um, so, you know, if, if you're a 27 inch guy, you, you can't get to 27 on that number three cam. You have to go to a number two cam. But um, so we're, we're maintaining as much speed as we possibly can by getting a full rotation. And, and even at, at 28 on that number three cam, which is the shortest position, we're still getting a full rotation out of that base cam, you know, whereas a lot of these other manufacturers they just have a kind of a rotating mod that just stops that cam earlier in the cycle if that makes sense yeah well kind of looking back on all the different bows you have and you just brought up a point earlier depending on the bow you want how do you know let's say someone's new and they want to buy a bow and they're looking at either at a shop or online you have tons of them you have factors you have night you have charger or knit room Nitrum. Nitrum. There you go. Yeah. And then also the carbon spiders. So how do you know what they should choose? And I mean, each of them have a unique design. Is there a reason for the design that have that effect or is it just for looks? Well, typically Hoyt doesn't do a whole lot just for looks. Everything that we do has a purpose, has an engine. It, it's all goes back to an engineering purpose. Now, if we have the opportunity to accomplish our engineering goal, but still be able to tweak it and make it look cool, we're going to. But at the end of the day, the most important thing that our engineering group is concerned with is making you know, a durable, safe bow that accomplishes what we've set out to do. Okay. So, yeah, and, and you know, to further your point, there's, there's other manufacturers too, right? So just like you said earlier, there's a lot of them out there making good bows. So it can be a pretty daunting task whenever someone's looking for, you know, a, a new bow in today's world. I, you know, I would tell guys, honestly, to start out by maybe checking out some of the bow reviews that are online. Every year there's a, a, there's a whole host of magazines that put out, you know, bow reviews. Um, and, you know, I, I would start there, um, you know, there's there's a bunch of them, but you know Peterson's bow hunting, um, outdoor life just just did one, and and it's it's not I'm not throwing it out there, but you know the Nitrum won their their best bow this year, uh, the Nitrum 30 in outdoor life. So you know, bow hunting world does one, um, bowhunting.com. I mean there's a bunch of those out there that can actually get get a guy started. The other thing is the guy's got to figure out how much money he's wanting to invest. And, you know, he needs to figure out how much he wants in a total package and how much, you know, he would want to spend in just a bare bow, whether he's going to be taking some items off of his existing bow or he's going to be buying all new. One of the great things that, you know, in today's world is everything's interchangeable. Um, Back when I first started, there were, you know, accessories that were specific to a bow company. Not everything interchanged. There were different thread counts you know so 
someone's site system wouldn't fit on someone else's site system and you know it, it was a mess and the archers manufacturers organization now the ata got on all on the same page and and everyone's kind of making thing universal now which makes it a lot easier for you to kind of move accessories back and forth from brand to brand but um that'd be the first thing a guy would want to do is is figure out how much money he's wanting to spend and really every manufacturer's gonna hit those key price points um, to try to have an option for that customer for, for however much money you want. So like I said, $399, $499, $650, 899 999 $1,100. Those are kind of like, I mean, I may have missed something there, but that's, that's kind of how most manufacturers run somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, on on their options. So within that, once he figures out how much money he's going to spend, then then you start talking about okay, what am I getting for my money? You know, and you know that's whenever you'd want to get. You decided you're going to get a five ninety nine bow, and you might have to go to you know six forty nine or four forty nine somewhere in that neighborhood. Go to your local pro shop, one that preferably has everything. Get all of them set up at the exact same draw length, exact same weight. You know, be adamant that they make sure that they're all timed and uh, that they're all running to factory spec. And just because they, it's a brand new bow and they pulled it out of the box, doesn't necessarily mean that it's at factory spec. To be honest with you, I mean, uh, you know, you you really got to ask that guy to make sure that they're all you know properly timed and you're getting a, a true representation of what that product should feel like. And then shoot them and, you know, have have that guy maybe walk you through some of the features of each model and see what you're getting. Some of them, some of them might come with a string stop. Some of them won't. Some will come with a package. Some of them won't. Some of them will, you know, have limb shocks or, um, you know, a, a roller guard instead of a static cable slide. I mean, there's – you'll be able to see pretty quick once you see all your 599 bows, which ones are, are, are you know, giving you – the biggest bang for your buck. And then obviously it's going to boil down to personal preference, uh, you know, aesthetics. It's going to boil down to, you know, the feel of the bow um, and, and really probably the performance. The one thing I will say about performance is, you know, do your own research on performance. Uh, it's, it's really unfortunate, but the archer manufacturers are not on the same page as far as using a consistent methodology for figuring out the speed of a bow. The consumer is going to believe or think that we're all using the same method, but we're all over the place as a manufacturing group. And so you really got to figure out what speeds these, these bows are actually getting, if speed's important to you. So basically, if you have the option at the bow shop is to see if they can chronograph it, uh, at least a few of them to get a good, an, a good idea of what you're going to be shooting at. And you'd really want to do it, you know, obviously you want to do it with the same arrow. You, you really, you have to do it at the same weight and the same draw length, you know, because, uh, you know, if you shoot a, uh, a bow that's an inch longer than another bow, it's going to be on average 10 feet per second faster just because of that inch of draw length. So you're not going to get a true representation of what that bow is going to be doing. And it's kind of a hassle. You know, these guys, especially this time of year, they're busy. And, you know, it takes a minute or two to switch out a draw length or something like that. But And that's why it's important to start early. But these guys, if they're not willing to work with you, you probably need to take your business somewhere else because there's there's a guy down the road that will do it for you. You know, there's these archery shops are 
they're competitive. Um, they're, they're all vying for the same customer and, um, you need to spend your money with a guy that's willing to spend his time with you. Let's say we have a new archer who's coming in and he doesn't really know his price point yet, but he doesn't even really know what bow he wants to get. He just knows he wants a Hoyt. What would be a good starting product, a model that you have, and what some of the things that he should think about having on the bow, at least when he's walking out the door on an average price, that could walk out, have a bow that's ready to shoot, um, that's going to get the job done, and they're going to enjoy it for you know a couple years to come? Well, you know, in my opinion, I think the, the, the biggest bang for your buck in the Hoyt lineup is the Hoyt Charger. That bow is a fantastic product. You're getting a, a cam system that's very similar. It, it, I would say it's almost like a cousin to the Z5 cam system that we run on our carbon bows and we run on our, our nitron bows, our top-of-the-line bows. Very similar pocket design, very similar uh, multi-layered laminate limbs. It's got your tech riser. It's, got a, it, it's cut from the same cloth as our highest-end bows. It, it, you know, a couple things that it doesn't have is, you know, it doesn't have like a roller guard. It's got a static cable slide instead of a roller guard. It's, you know, little things like that is what you're, is what you're going to miss on that bow compared to a nitrum or a carbon spider. But dollar for dollar spent, you know, the performance that you're getting out of that bow and the feel of the cam system, uh, I think it's by far, uh, the biggest value in, in the Hoyt lineup and, and, and that bow, is, is going to vary as far as price. I mean, retailers, we, we allow our retailers to sell our products within reason. You know, they, can, they, they can't advertise them below a certain price. So that bow as a package, 100% kitted out. The only thing you would need is some arrows. Um, as a package, that bow is going to be six forty nine to five ninety nine. Uh, now that's, we're on a podcast that's probably going to be heard by people all over the nation. I mean, I'm in Indiana, Kentucky and Tennessee and my dealers are running it for six fifty. Um, it comes with a, a QAD ultra rest, comes with a three pin side, a four arrow quiver. I mean, everything, everything you need to get rolling except for some arrows. Wow. Well, that's actually a really decent price of walking out with something to go and shoot. Yeah. We also have a long draw version. You know, there's very few price point bows, which I mean, to be honest with you, it, it, it's, it's kind of weird to say, but uh, a $599 or $650 bow in today's world is considered kind of a price point bow. There's very few price point bows that go past 30 inches. And Hoyt offers a long draw version in the charger that will go an extra inch. It'll go out to 31. So those guys that are 6'2", but still on a budget, they have an option, which is uh, if you get to looking around, it's really hard to find a 31-inch draw bow that isn't a high, high high-end bow. So that's something that Hoyt's always tried really hard to do is to provide you know, a bow for all different types of archers. That's, you don't see us promoting the Nitrum 30. Uh, a lot of manufacturers, they'll come out with one bow and they'll just hammer it. And it may be a 33 inch bow. It may be a 30 inch bow, whatever we've, our philosophy is we make three different versions of the same bow and we call them kind of all the same name. So this year we've got a Nitrum 34, which is a 34 axle to axle bow. We'll go out to 32 inches. You can get it in a long draw version as well. You've got the Nitrum 30, which will go to 30-inch uh, draw. It's a 30-inch axle-to-axle bow. Uh, and then you've got the Nitrum Turbo, which is a 33-inch axle-to-axle bow. has a little bit shorter brace height, 
and has a little bit racier of a, a cam on it. So it's actually 20 feet per second faster than our other nitron bows. So our advertising can go a little bit farther because we're just hounding and, and pumping nitrum, nitrum, nitrum instead of nitrum 30. And, and whether you're 6'4", or whether you're a tree stand ground blind guy, or whether you're a speed freak, nitrum is what you need. We've got a bow that'll work for you. It might be in a little bit different configuration, but it's a bow that'll be specific to what you're looking for. Well, uh, now, one of the things I noticed I haven't seen on the site, and it could just be that maybe it's not as important as it was a while back, but when you do a full draw, what's the let off that these bows normally have? Because I know some people are going, or certain manufacturers around 70, I think you might get a few around 80, but is that between each of your bows, the models, are they pretty consistent with each? Yeah, so let off is, um, let off has kind of a direct correlation to performance. So it's hard to get super high speeds out of a bow that's got 85, 90% let off. And there's bows out there that, that are approaching that 90 some percent let off. I mean, they're crazy. Uh, we ran 75% uh, for a long time with the original cam and a half. You know, the consumer has started to ask for, a little bit higher let off and so we've started tweaking our cams to get more let off for that consumer um, also maybe have a little bit deeper valley and a perceived harder wall um, that kind of is the way things are somewhat going in the archery industry right now so uh, the z5 cam uh, is kind of the big brother of the rkt cam which was the previous cam that system that we were running and it's running, we're calling it an 80% let off cam, but that depends on the mod position. So again, on a number three cam, we have five different mod positions, 28 to 30 in half inch increments, A being the shortest, E being the longest. When we, when we run in the A position, uh, we'll run actually about 83% let off. Mm-hmm. And when we go out to the E position, it'll actually run somewhere around 78 so that 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 let off will change a little bit depending on what mod. I mean, for advertising purposes, we call it a you know we call it an eighty percent let off bow. But I guess even with that, any of those tweaks will have some sort of core effect with the end result when you release the arrow. Typically, when you get lower let offs, you're going to have more performance. That's kind of a general. That's kind of a probably an oversimplified statement, but it, you know for the most part. Um, you're going to get more performance out of lower let off. Um, yeah, I think I was uh, at least a week or so ago, I was shooting some high speed bows and it felt like when I was at full draw, I felt like I had no back wall. And it was almost, if you think of like driving a car, it was on high idle. It just wanted to release. And um, I didn't know if that's the same kind of way with Hoyt, but uh, that was a definitely a new experience for me when I was trying a high speed bow. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, it's a it's a physics problem and it's just science. You want something to go faster. There's no free lunch in archery and you're going to have to give something up to gain those speeds, whether it's going to be a more steeper draw force curve, so it's going to it's going to stack weight earlier in the draw cycle and it's going to maintain that weight over the longer period of the draw cycle and the let off isn't going to be as much on the back end. You know, you go to our turbo bows, uh, the ones that we're running this year with the new Z5 turbo cam, those are a 75% let off cam. And we do that so we can maintain, we can hit that number, you know. And So, yeah, you're going to give up something 
uh, to gain something. Like someone, some old man told me, there's no free lunch in archery, and he's he was right. It's it's just a physics problem at this point. The days of big feet per second gains by these manufacturers are probably over. Um, we have barring using some t- some sort of weird cam material or you know doing something funky with uh, you know another cam system you've you're gonna have a certain level of friction in any cam system that you build and you know there's a term called dynamic efficiency and it kind of tests the the efficiency of a cam system and no matter what you're gonna lose some efficiency you know perpetual motions the the end goal, but we're never going to reach perpetual motion. So we're running, you know, a lot of manufacturers are running in the nineties of dynamic efficiency. And we've kind of hit a point where the consumer has kind of reached the threshold in the aggressiveness of the cams that they want to, to draw. So once you reach that threshold, there, there's nowhere else for you to go. So now the trick of manufacturers is figuring out how to maintain that speed while making a boat easier to draw and easier to shoot and easier to hold. So I guess that's the, uh, the future of archery is going to be that for a while, but we've hit a plateau, so to speak, but now it's just creating those uniqueness that keep people drawing in getting one, the newer bows, cause everybody has to have the newest one. But to uh, make a bow that's efficient, that lasts long, and it's a really big heap for a lot of the companies have to deal with that. Well, probably, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, what you saw in the archery industry, and maybe even a little bit longer, I mean, um, these archery manufacturers have started going to colleges and getting degreed engineers. Before that, this was a good old boy Bubba industry, and it was... It was probably a little bit more than a couple guys writing some designs on a cocktail napkin, but I don't know how much more you know than that it was. Now these guys are using the absolute latest cutting edge engineering you know concepts, and we are tweaking these things. We're getting everything that we possibly can out of them, while maintaining the the draw cycles that the consumer has kind of come accustomed to and what they're what they're willing to take. So again, now we're just trying to make the bows more shootable. And it seems like speed kind of comes and goes as far as how important it is to the consumer base. We're probably in a little bit of a decline in importance right now on speed. And that's probably, that's actually pretty recent. Um, As recent as a year or two ago, speed was really important. But I think because the consumer isn't seeing these big leaps and bounds in speed now, they're kind of starting to understand where we're at as far as uh, industry. And, and, and now it's, it's just uh, trying to get these bows to feel like there's nothing in your hand whenever it goes off while maintaining a certain level of performance. Yeah. Well, I guess one more question, and this is something that uh, I saw a while back, and which is what really did drive me towards wanting the Hoyt in the first place was that I saw a video and it seemed like they were the only ones that could do a full draw 
dry fire without popping the string or damaging the cam. And that was, you know, seven years ago, and that was something they were pushing. Um, Grant, no one wants to dry fire, but it happens. And um, so is that something that they still push for as, no, it's not an advertisement, but is that something that they still try to strive for? It's like if they have that, they still can count that we can dry fire and still be good to go. Well, you know, it is. It's it's actually, it's a core I wouldn't say it's a core value, but it's a it's a core process or a core thing about our engineering process that our bows can withstand uh, dry fires. It, it's actually maybe not everyone knows about it, but our limbs have to be able to withstand a thousand dry fires, and our riser design has to be able to withstand fifteen hundred dry fires at thirty inch draw, eighty pounds. And so, when the engineer comes up with a mocked up concept riser for next year that's one of the things that they do is they have a machine in the facility that has 80 pound metal limbs that won't fail and they pop it into limb pockets and they dry fire that thing 1500 times and if there's any crack stress fracture anything like that i'm I'm sure they paint it with some type of paint that would show up a crack or a stress fracture easier and and for that design to carry the hoyt name it cannot have any stress fractures or cracks or failures uh, 1500 dry fires and and the limbs are a thousand so you know we could probably do a, a lot more as far as performance if we laxed off of that but Randy Walk, bless his heart, he is adamant about maintaining durability and maintaining a safe, consistent, durable uh, product. And they just won't waver. They, you know, it's harder to make a product that can do that, but um, it it has been kind of a cornerstone of his engineering uh, practice. And and he kind of leads our engineering group and they won't waver from it. and, And I'm glad they don't. You know, I'm a sales rep. So one of the things that makes my job so easy is I don't have to ever worry about us coming out with something that's going to hurt somebody or us coming out with something that's going to fail and I'm going to have egg on my face because I sold a dealer a bunch of them. It's uh, I probably take it for granted a little bit, but I, I try to pinch myself every now and then and kind of remind myself that you know this is something not to be taken for granted. This is a big part of, of my job, and I don't ever have to worry about us having – really failures. I mean, sure, we, we have we have some warranty stuff uh, that typically isn't manufacturer-induced. It's n- most of the time it's it's user, you know, user abuse or misuse or something like that. But, right. you know, our warranty department is kind of like the lonely Maytag repairman. They just don't see a whole lot. And, and uh, you know, I see a bunch of it being on the road dealing with, you know, dealers that carry four or five different brands. And you ask dealers that carry four or five different brands, including Hoyt, you know, which one do you have the least amount of warranty? Nine times out of 10, they're going to tell you Hoyt. And it's because we just, we typically just kind of over engineer and overbuild our bows. You know, it, I think it's a good thing. We could probably get, we could probably uh, attain some things that we haven't been able to if we kind of laxed on that. But the peace of mind that it gives you as a salesman and the peace of mind that it gives the company that know that they're putting a durable bow. I mean, these guys are these guys are hunting on the Wasatch Front outside of Salt Lake City. I mean, there's so many hunters and archers that work at Hoyt 
they just refuse to build a bow lesser than what they know they can. Well, see, that's uh, every time I think about getting a new bow, I always seem to go back to looking at the Hoyts because that was one of my main things that uh, I always felt I learned a valuable lesson the hard way. And the the brand I bought, sure enough, the develop or the dealer, the person I bought it from, he said, "Do not let anyone." touch your bow or pull it back to shoot it. And I was like, why? He goes, the first person that's going to grab it, they're going to pull it back and they're going to dry fire and it's going to break. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But I took his word and no more. And this is before I even had my sight and before I had a release. I just bought the bow, brought it home. And within the week, it happened to be Scott. And I showed him the bow. I was picking something up. I gave him to just to hold it. He grabbed it. And because the string was so new, it was, uh, I guess, very a lot of wax on it. And when he was pulling it back without pulling it a good grip, he didn't have a release um, on there. So he was using his fingertips. He pulled, luckily it was just midway, it wasn't even full, but he accidentally let it go and it snapped the string, it bent the cam, and if they said that if uh, he went to full draw, it would have potentially broke the riser itself. And I, that blew my mind. I was like, I did not realize how easy it would be to bust a, a, a bow. And ever since then, I was like, if I ever buy another bow, one of the things I wanted to make sure is that the idea of dry firing is out there and uh, I've always kind of gone back to Hoyt just because of that thought process. Well, I mean, I, I, we'd love to have you as a shooter, to be honest with you. We'd love to have your business. Uh, I can tell you that if someone accidentally picks up my Hoyt and, and I take all my personal bows to all the promos that I go to and they get dry fired. I mean, they not on purpose, but it happens all the time. And the worst thing that has happened to me is you know, some serving will start fraying on you know one of my cables. I mean, it just doesn't. They're just they're just tanks. I mean, they're just overbuilt bows. So you know that happens a lot. We see it all the time. And and the biggest thing, just for people out there, don't let people draw your bow back without a release. Um, don't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I learned it the hard way. Guys will just you know they'll what they'll do is they'll pull it back and then they'll rotate the wrist and when they rotate their wrist because that's just a natural movement once you get it back and he may have done, not done that because he only did a half dry fire but um, you'll see it all the time guys will rotate their wrist and, and it's getting to be more and more of a problem because these shorter axle to axle bows and the limb design is starting to arc in at more of a extreme arcing angle so the angle that the string is coming off the cam is so tight these manufacturers have actually had to start making the string groove deeper so the string sits into the groove of the cam deeper so it's not so easily derailed out of the cam. You see a lot of derails uh, anymore on short axle axle bows with guys pulling it with their hands. Well, Zach, man, this has been really great. I mean, I think you've given some pointers that should help a listener that's either wanting to buy a new bow or has a bow and maybe looking to change up. And uh, it looks like that Hoyt's got some really great products out there. And even with my personal experience with dry firing, that's always something in the back of my mind. And if someone ever has that worry, you know, Hoyt might be the option to look at for even just for that alone. But then the rest of that, the designs, the way that you, your company puts stuff together, um, it looks like uh, it's a good choice for someone. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that, man. I, I really think it is. I think we deserve a look by, you know, anybody that's looking for a bow and we've got bows that'll fit all kinds of different price 
points. And uh, just all I would ask is people give us a shot. You know, um, go to your local pro shop, ask to shoot a Hoyt, and see what you think. If let's say one of the listeners wanted to talk to you directly, I mean, is there a way they could reach out to you either through a Facebook, uh, email, uh, a direct number you have? Yeah, my Facebook is uh, Zach Holt Outdoors, H O L T, and anyone can hit me up there anytime, and I'll be sure to get back with them. And if we need to get on the phone, we can do it at that point. Great. I'll have your your link on the show notes as well. So anybody that's listening, you can just check the show notes, and there'll be a direct link to his Facebook page. Okay, Travis. Well, Call me anytime if you want to talk some more, buddy. All right, Zach, thank you so much for coming on. No problem, man. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, guys, as you heard in this episode, Zach really pumped out some awesome knowledge. It wasn't just about the bows that Hoyt developed. He really gives some deep understanding about what the struggles the bow manufacturers in general had to make sure they create amazing products for us consumers to purchase. Okay, so now we're down with two different bow manufacturers on the line, given the best bows they have to offer, the best price point for the new archer that's wanting to get into hunting. I want to keep these episodes pretty much non-biased because here's the deal not every bow is going to be perfect for every person so you really need to know which one you want to purchase based on a lot of criterias and when i say that you need to actually shoot these bows and before you purchase it's not just one of those impulse buys because if you think about it these are expensive and if you're going to put money into it you want to make sure you buy something that's going to last that fits you well and you have fun every time you shoot because you want to keep using this over and over and over again if it's something that doesn't fit you well you're not going to be happy with it. You're just end up going to waste your money. You end up buying another one, potentially selling this one, wasting time, energy. The idea to do these episodes is to give you a chance to have an objective view when purchasing either your first bow or a new bow. And the next episodes are going to be dealing with the same thing. They're just a different bow manufacturer. We're going to get the insights on what they have to offer. This again will give you a better understanding when you come into a store and picking the bow that you want. So guys, I hope that this episode about the bow manufacturer of Hoyt was very informative for you. If it was, and if you've liked our show so far, if you could take a moment, go to mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. Once there, if you could give us a five-star review, if you felt this show was worth the value, and or give us an idea of what you want to hear for the next episode or what you like or don't like about the show. We're learning. We want to make sure that this show is exciting for every listener. We won't be able to hit everybody's point of view, but at least sharing on the different types of topics that any person that is a bow hunter can listen in and learn something new. And if you'd like to follow us on different social accounts, we have a link on our website at mybowrush.com. It says subscribe and follow us links. Click on that. It lets you know exactly how to get in touch with us on multiple social network accounts. Definitely check that out. Share with your friends because we do need the exposure. We still are new. I, I say we're still new, even though we're a year in. We're only in 20 what this is 21 episodes in so we have a lot to come overcome a lot more information to come out but we need that exposure we need your help to let other people know who we are so we can let more people listen in on our show guys i really do appreciate you taking the time listening to what we have to say i hope this episode was great for you the next one i'm thinking is going to be with elite most likely it's going to be with anthony dixon again he's got so much knowledge that he can share about that company i think he's going to be the right person to talk to so the next episode's coming up soon stay tuned for that 
And like we were saying before, I'll throw this message out there again. Hopefully someone will come up with something more slick than what we have currently, which is go get a bow rush. But if you do, please email us, send us a message, give us a call, let us know that cool slick slogan that we can potentially make this ending of the show a lot more exciting. But until that time, I'm your host, Travis Stowe, and guys, go get a bow rush. Later. Later.